0: From Glitch HQ on Riverside Avenue in the same but different Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development.
1: I'm Martha McGarry and I make nice games.
0: I'm Stephen McGregor and I make nice games. And I'm
1: Martha Croy, I too make nice games.
0: For this week's episode, our topics are the language of games and sequels. And so, if everyone is ready, let's start. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you said to <the> start, right? <laughs> yeah, I was talking to you. <laughs> oh, let's let's do it. <laughs> uh, we have big a, news, big news. Yeah. Two of our games that we're working on are wish listable on Steam.
2: Oh, man. What does that even mean?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I guess you can say you might purchase this one day in the future if you feel like it. Uh huh. That's pretty much what.
1: The- and if it ever goes on sale, Steam will send you a ton of emails about it.
2: Yes. Cool. Cool. So look out for that. Next summer. We've, uh, we've established bothering mechanisms. This is great. Yes. Uh, for which games? Uh, Clawbreaker and Widget Satchel. Hey. Yes. And the first of those has a release date. Yes. yes. Right?
1: Clawbreaker will be released on August 16th. Yes. It's a Thursday. There's going to be a party. We're not sure where yet.
2: though. So. We will let you all know <laughs> when and where that will be. We're going to have a party for Widget Satchel, I guess. We should I don't do know. That. I don't want to party at yeah. <laughs> Or well, we'll see how the Clawbreaker one goes. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll model ourselves on that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Widget Satchel, also a wish list on Steam. Uh, both games are also, um, a, a will be available on Itch yes. as well and they both have pages on Itch. Yes, we'll link um, to those in the mm-hmm. description.
1: If you don't know what Itch is, because some people don't, right? it's uh, another storefront that is more friendly to indie games by letting you decide, the, the creators decide how much they want to give a cut to Itch as opposed to Steam. Which right. Takes a bigger cut, so.
2: yeah. it also has uh, like uh, models for developers to do, like choose your own price, and it's it's much more focused on uh, being a, lo- a place for free games as well. Yeah. So it's really friendly to indie devs to sell their sort of mid cost titles. Uh-huh. Um. Uh. You know, using a traditional model or, or a new one, but then also it's great for game jams, demos, uh, experiments, and so. It's and it's also really friendly for users who want to help curate that stuff. So it's it's great. We should totally do an episode on it. Yeah, that's a good idea. We did one on Steam. New one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, Witcher's Hatchel will be released this year. Yes. But near the end of the year is, yes. is what we're thinking. That is our plan. Um, there's some wheels a turning on that stuff. So, no, no date on that one yet. Yeah. But, uh, but Clawbreaker in uh, when you hear this, it'll be less than a month. Oh
1: man. Uh, oh boy. Or no, it'll be about
2: a month. I don't know. Calendar math. Calendar math. <laughs> What's the date again?
1: August 16th.
2: Put that in your calendars and wish list those games, folks, because yeah. we, we worked real hard on them. <laughs> it's true. Steven worked on both. I
3: did. <laughs> <laughs> I want them out
1: <laughs> so you can play.
0: <laughs> uh, also, here in uh, Minneapolis, the,
2: the Summer Games Done Quick happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that it just ended as we're recording.
0: It yeah. just
1: ended last night yeah. at 3 a.m. Oh. It was, sad. But it was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They did, their last run was uh, Final Fantasy six or america's final fantasy 6 japan's final fantasy 3
2: sure uh nope the other way
1: around oh yes that's it yep japan no wait whatever (laughs) (laughs) all the numbers it's the one with the with the magitek armor and everything Uh that we played on the super NES. yeah yeah
0: oh yeah you say NES. we're gonna blow right okay Uh, yeah. I say it the correct way, <laughs> um, But yeah, it's like. It's the children who are wrong. <laughs> anyway, um, I, I really like having summer games on QuickUp because, like, mm-hmm. I just have it up on my computer while I'm working. You can hear people talking and stuff. Yeah. And
2: it's fun. I, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely one of those casual watchers where I really am yeah. only interested in the games I'm familiar with. Totally. And there's maybe like 15% of the games that run are games I've played. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but they're all really interesting. Um, and I don't keep it on in the background. Like I will watch these th- these things. Like yeah. I focus on them because yeah. I'm the familiarity helps. Um, and I always watch it after the fact, like on YouTube. I don't really ever watch it live. Mm. But I know it's a big part of the experience for people um, with the like endless scrolling tw- Twitch chat. <laughs> yes,
0: <laughs> they have they switched to a subscription model. Though, so like you can't chat on it unless you are subscribed to Twitch or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So that's a little of,
2: less chaotic. A little bit. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it's real, it was really cool last night. Towards the end, um, they. St- like people started organizing through donation announcements like time, time stamps on the run where they would all donate $5 mm-hmm. so like they you would they someone would be like I'm donating this amount so that I can announce that at 6:15 we are going to all donate $5 and then when that number hit like the thing just the the donation counter just started flying up <laughs> Whoa, <right>. wow <laughs> that's
3: great it was so exciting i nice,
1: <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. The donations all for SGDQ and AGQ The different charities like Doctors Without Borders. Which yeah, it's really cool. They mm-hmm. raised last night. The total was like two million one hundred thousand something. Wow,
2: that's a record, right? It was like um, one eight last year, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, I think it might be a record for SGDQ, but it didn't beat. I don't think it beat AGDQ's right, record right. in twenty twenty.
2: That's awesome. Games that's the original. Uh, version that happens in the winter.
1: Yes, yes.
2: Uh, in the, somewhere else, not in Minneapolis.
1: Yes. Right? And they just moved it. There, they made an announcement that it's going to be in what's what's the state that's MD Maryland Maryland. It's going <laughs> to be in Maryland.
0: Which awesome games next Yeah. <laughs> okay. Summer games done week still going to be here?
1: Yeah. Okay,
2: good because we mm-hmm. want to go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Me too. Yeah.
2: You know, it's funny we say this every year, but like it's impossible to go. Like it's a lo- it's a, ostensibly a local event for yeah, us. Yeah. But like it doesn't feel that way at all.
1: Right.
0: Because it like it kind of just happens and mm-hmm. we can't.
2: And, and nobody take, I know ever goes. Yeah, because you
0: got to take money. work off and stuff, <laughs> <laughs> and it costs a lot of money to go to. Like, you don't want to go to every night, maybe I don't know, a lot of stuff. <laughs> but I want to go. But I, <laughs> I'll figure it out one day.
2: Mm-hmm. Next next year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one that I really wanted to to note it was really interesting was the it was a Super Mario Three race. Did you see that one? I, I watched it afterward. Ah. Yeah, there's two players uh, playing, and they were playing. Um, the a f- a fortress uh, variant where you didn 't have to beat all the airships, you just had to beat all the fortresses, which is where those sort of mid level castles where the boom booms live yeah and um, it 's sort of an interesting way to play it. and that 's what 's really fun about these is coming up with new conditions for speed runs yeah and um and so the two players were talking it out as they were playing, and it was sort of very little friendly rivalry between them they were all within like seconds of each other for most of the way mm. and then uh, one of the players uh died and was like oh, and kind of like whipped his controller. Uh, like just very lightly, like yeah. not a big deal, and then it's it's soft locked the other player's console. Oh no! And so and there and he just put his hand. The guy who who instigated it yeah. he put his head in his hands and just was like I'm sorry I'm so sorry oh, and, no! the, and all, all the crowd was laughing oh and the guy who's who, the other one was just like oh that's hilarious like <laughs> <laughs> you know because the thing about these speedrun competitions yeah. is like no one's going for a world record right so it's in it's in such a friendly spirit there's never I've never seen one of these things where anyone's gotten like emotionally distraught yeah. or taken things too seriously and so the spirit of it was definitely live and mm-hmm. so uh, he's like, no, I'll just start over, keep going. And he's just like sulking for like the four minutes it took the other guy to catch back up. Oh wow. And then the whole time everyone's trying to convince him, no, no, we can keep doing, it. we can keep going. And he's like, no, I ruined it. I ruined it. Oh man. And then they finally catches up. And then they now he's like, well, I don't have all the same items because I took shortcuts to get to catch up. So yeah. they changed the rules of the competition <laughs> on the fly. Oh, my goodness. And That's then, so awesome. And they're, then they're going again. And it's, like, really riveting because yeah. he's caught back up. He sort of, like, gave him, uh, like, the a, a, a sportsman, like, uh, a, a starting at the same place again. And then they're on World 8 in Bo- Bowser's Final Castle. Mm-hmm. Same deal. Mm-hmm. And the same thing happens. Oh, no. <laughs> the console breaks down again. <gasps> and so... And they and like clearly there was some loose connection or yeah. some like a uh, uh, melted solder or something in that console. It was kind of making it susceptible. Mm-hmm. And so the player who was you know felt like it was his fault was just like <laughs> and like as they were getting towards the end, the 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 player whose console had broke was actually was behind, mm-hmm. but the player who was ahead had just lost a power up that would have saved him like ten seconds oh. in the final boss. Uh-huh. And so even though he was ahead by a couple seconds, it was like it was really anybody's game at that point oh, wow. in, in a really interesting, riveting way. And then it just kind of broke again. Oh. And so he was so like distraught. And then he, the, everybody just convinced him, just, just finish it, just finish it. And so he did, but like kind of like half-heartedly ended up a small Mario, oh. like didn't get to do any of the fun strats oh. and just, it just beat the game. And then, uh, meanwhile, the other player is racing to do what's called a wrong warp, mm. which is where you go to a world seven and do this weird combination of things. It's totally not different from what their run was. Yeah, you do this weird combination of things where um, you actually are manipulating the memory in the console to uh, warp directly to the end, the end title scene, or the 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 end cutscene, huh. and uh, did it before the credits were finished on the other player's oh, normal awesome. run. And it was just like. <laughs> I mean, really, what you should have done is not listen to me say any of this. You should just go watch the thing. We'll link. It's super interesting. We'll link to that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It was super cool. That's amazing. (laughs) Oh wow. So more. That's what I like. I like those kinds of stories. I don't really care so much about this thing you can do in Castlevania. I just want to hear. Like, I like the the the, the stories of the moment. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Although explaining the things is really fun. I watched the uh, Rise of the Tomb Raider. Uh, um speed run, mm-hmm. uh, another game I played. So it was, easy. and and just watching him like just clip through everything nice. and break break the game all the time, and describe all that stuff's of yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. You
0: know? One day we should try to get Widget Satchel on
2: there. Man, we've been designing Widget Satchel with some speed with some speed runny kind of things yeah. in mind, and I'm like, man, that community is like they're very discriminating. Like they will, you know, they will judge us if we're appropriate for their their you know style of play, yeah. and I. And we're not speedrunners, no. so I'm. But neither were the people who designed the games that are speedrunnable. So I mean, right? Yeah. <laughs> so here's hoping, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we should. We definitely going to need some people to test it for that specifically. Mm-hmm. Oof! Fun. I can't wait. Yeah. And on that note.
1: Yeah. Uh.
2: Come on, Arthur. We're all counting on you. <laughs>
1: um. Uh. <laughs> you have to know that. I don't. Um. <laughs> you, you, have you have to, to, to p- know. You have to press A to jump go fast
3: <laughs> okay that was
1: no i don't know i don't have anything you guys i'm sorry
2: sorry <laughs> right. you get you get your you got your on days and your off days i just really hope this is somebody's first episode i know <laughs> what we're doing
1: <laughs> hello everybody <laughs> i'm good at tra- cop topic Ugh. i'm good at talking and now we're going to talk about the language games <laughs>
3: <laughs> all right nice save nice save
1: <laughs> beautiful <laughs> okay so i wanted to talk about um those like gaming conventions mm-hmm. things that you a lot of games do and that you just intuitively know how to do because you've played a lot of games but aren't necessarily written down anywhere or like If you haven't played a lot of games, you wouldn't necessarily know. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted Mark to do his topic on gaming conventions so we could do gaming conventions and gaming conventions as the two (laughs) topics, but that didn't work out.
2: You can't have everything in life.
1: (laughs) Darn.
0: (laughs) Think how that transition would (laughs) have (laughs) went.
1: It would have been so great. (laughs) (laughs) We'll
0: never know now. (laughs)
1: Lost to time. Yep. Episode, question mark. So, yeah. So, like, press A to jump is one. Mm-hmm. Um, and health bars. I know you've got a lot of opinions about health bars, Stephen.
0: I have a lot of opinions about a lot of things. But specifically about <laughs> HUDs and stuff. I can, I can go on on that. But I wanted to talk about HUDs in a different episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> but health bars are our language that people, that, like, we have in games that are kind of weird because, like, people don't work by health points. Like, if you get hit in the arm, you don't suddenly lose five health points. You, you know, you, your arm hurts. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like a different language.
1: Ah, my health bar. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, saw, I saw this tweet the other day uh, where uh, somebody, I think it was like like a DM was, was talking and playing in and, and Dungeons and Dragons and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then somebody was like, how much health do you have? And then the DM was like, wait, hey, hold on. You can't ask them how much health they have because we're in the world. And in the world, you don't know how many health, how many health, uh, how much health you have. And so uh, the other person was like, "How are you feeling right now?" <laughs> and then uh, the person answered uh, from a scale of uh, eighty <laughs> one to eighty five, I'm a, a, about a fifty seven.
1: <laughs> so that's amazing. <laughs> yeah,
2: I, I want to see if I can find that and link that too. That's great. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Yeah, there's a whole category of like uh, DM telling stories about their stupid players. <laughs> I love <Yeah>. reading those. <laughs> uh, but. Uh yes, health bars—they're weird. That's mm-hmm. all I had to say about that. Um, and that's changed. I'm thinking about first-person shooters. Yeah, like there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a there's now two types of health bars: regenerative health and non-regenerative oh, yeah. health. And that was like in the mid 2000s, I think it was like a big like was, it was Halo the first one to do that differently. I might be thinking of that's that wrong. because
0: I think Halo had shields and those would regenerate. But like after oh, you okay, lose okay. your shields, you still had your health and that oh, okay. would not regenerate.
2: This might be then a Call of Duty thing or so. There was some big game that that popularized this, and then it became. Like it just completely shifted all games are regenerative health yeah you just duck behind cover or go around a wall uh-huh. because like it's not fun to die in the middle of a level <laughs> right yeah and so and and, and each firefight was that was the the metric by which you would survive or not so that was kind of cool but then people were like no 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 we want it that that seems that was that's too easy and it, it ends up being a different kind of challenge I think now we're at a place where get uh, developers just choose what's best for their mechanics now which is how they should do it right but now we have those two bits of language whereas when it was new it was weird to people Mm -hmm. right
1: yeah yeah that's a good point like when these things first came out they were like super innovative transgressions of previous um like tropes and conventions and Mm -hmm. stuff
0: right like everybody just assumed there'd be health packs, and then all of a sudden there were no health packs and they're Mm -hmm. like what but it ended up working out and so now you know, you are somehow able to determine whether or not your game has health packs or not based on like how the game feels and the UI around
2: it and stuff. Mm-hmm. So,
1: health packs is another thing.
2: Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> you know, like I'm just thinking about like the earliest for ver- like D and D is where a lot of where health bars come from, like s- stats. But a lot of early video games had like hit points, like hearts, right? Mm-hmm. Where you had like three instead of like fifty or whatever, right? And every damage would just Deal you one or whatever, and it wasn't all games like that. But I'm thinking of an early example of, of Gauntlet, where ah. you had a countdown, which is your health, that just ticked down. Oh yeah, and every time you got hit, it you lost more of those points. Mm-hmm. Really weird. It, I mean, yeah. that that system is so bizarre. But it, in a time where those things weren't so standardized. Uh, it was it found it wasn't weird to people i guess because everything was as different from everything else that's true right? also
0: that was an arcade game and they were trying to get you quarters so like fair point <laughs> having your health ticked out kind of helps with that yeah
2: that's exactly right yeah
0: um <laughs> uh, but no that's a good that's a good example mm-hmm. i like that uh oh boy we've ballooned this topic <laughs> continue martha sorry
1: oh no 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 that's what i want is to just you know people to talk about it that's the point of podcasts talk about it anyway yeah steven (laughs) (laughs) of course (laughs) um uh so a lot of these things i'm getting on this list that i have uh are from a discussion on slack um our slack uh community group for minneapolis game dev people Mm -hmm. um and one thing another thing they said is like red barrels explode and kind of Um, piggybacking on that is like red things are negative or like dangerous and then green things are good and health or positive or Mm -hmm. go forward. Yes. Um, And that how that is sort of a more of a cultural um, convention like that isn't a lot of things in our like Western culture or whatever. Yeah. Stop lights (laughs) etc.
0: Yeah. Is that is that different in other parts of the world?
1: Yeah. Apparently in I think someone was saying, like, in China, red is like, like, um, it's
2: like good luck. Good luck. Right? Yeah.
1: Oh. And like positive financial things oh, okay. are red instead of going into the red, like, that's negative here. Yeah. yeah.
0: Huh. That's interesting.
1: Um, so yeah. So, like, there's different color cues that might not translate to different mm-hmm. groups. And it's interesting that we picked red and green because those are like really common. Um, colorblind things yeah. to, like, not be able to distinguish between. <laughs> yeah.
2: That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, speaking of red exploding barrels, we just added those to which widget satchel.
0: We did. We didn't make them green. Ooh, we should make them green.
2: No, we shouldn't make them green. They do go boom. So. so. <laughs> they, work, they work as expected. Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> There's a level, or a, a track in Hydro Thunder that's called Castle Von Boom. And ah. it's got lots of explodey barrels. And they're and red? They're all red, nice. yes.
2: <laughs> I've seen a lot of like more realistic games try to play with this in a way that's like, oh, this is a little red label on a normal barrel or something. Yeah. It's just, like, you're not fooling anybody.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we know it's explosive. Yeah.
2: Goodness. Well, you know, that's the thing you want players to know. Like yeah. It's that language that's so important. Mm-hmm. And like as, as we put worlds onto our games, that the language of games becomes sort of they, it tugs at it a little
0: bit yeah you know well yeah in 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 the, in the more realistic games they'll like they play with it in a way that makes sense for the real world that like because like we have signs that are make things clear that this is hazardous or explosive right. or whatever else so they'll just use that language mm-hmm. and they'll put that on their barrels and then it's clear but like they'll also color them red because it's ex- extremely obvious at that point <laughs> yeah. uh, at least
2: for people who play games a lot uh so uh, whereas in the real world a red barrel usually just has like oil in it right yeah which <laughs> could so be explosive. Still,
1: yeah. You could burn it.
2: Not if you burn it, yes. It's <laughs> burned it all. Well, that's just mo- that's movie logic. Then <laughs> you shoot one of those. But that's true. That's probably it. Might have been where a lot of those come from. Like mm-hmm. you see the the oil drum kind of service, floating barrels, even though it doesn't make any sense. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, another example. This is like in Borderlands. They have things that are like red that are explosive, and then anything that has a green light on it, like lockers or washing machines.
3: Mm -hmm. you
1: can open them and they'll be like loot inside. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So like you're just trained to look for like green glowing lights because that's good.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Treasure. I I love systems like that because I think those systems in the real world that are like that are very useful. So I like when they're in games and I like when they're sort of taking their logical extreme a really good example of this, and it uses red as well uh, in a different way, is Mirror's Edge.
3: Mm. Oh yeah, where
2: the the correct path or the or are you the paths that are open to you are in red, and they're sort of subtly tinted, right? Everything in the world is very white, yeah. very uh, 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 monochromatic, mm-hmm. um, or desaturated rather, and then uh, red things tend to be your path. I think orange things are like um, uh, manipulatable objects. Uh, I kind of forget exactly what all the things are, but there's these really uh, 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 this color language that is not. That is unique to that game. Yeah, um, and I really like it. they called it Runner's Vision. Yeah. The idea was that, like, if if you're a runner, this it's a parkour game, and if you're if you're a runner, then you understand this, and this is how you see it. Mm-hmm. It's not really what the world looks like, but th- there's no like you know like um, you know wavy of particle effects or anything. It just it's a very uh, clean aesthetic design. I really liked it. Um, yeah. But the way they fictionalized it was to say that this is just how uh, the run- well, how she sees the world, the main character. Now in the sequel they just mess it up completely where like you have these embeddable contact lenses that yeah. highlight different uh, things using yeah. the runners. It just ruined it completely. Yeah, like it, it, it ended up giving them more flexibility to do more things with it. Like it could turn on and off. And so you mm-hmm. could like, it, you could like introduce dramatic moments where you don't have those cues and stuff like that. But it ended up kind of ruining what was really good about and innovative about that particular use of yeah. color uh, for their systems. There's a lot of things that were wrong with that sequel. Yeah.
1: Speaking of secrets.
2: <laughs> Yeah, We'll get to it. Yeah.
1: Um, uh, one that you brought up, Steven, is right trigger to shoot. Yes. Um, no, I use
0: the left trigger most of the time. It's just the right one. And the left trigger is normally used to like, aim more
2: mm-hmm. effectively.
1: Well, yeah, that's true.
2: In, in, in most shooters, anyway. I think a lot of that is because people are right-handed and you pull a trigger like a gun. Yeah. So that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But the left-to-aim, right-to-shoot also has a right-to-left like, temporal pattern. Oh, you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, first, you, do, second. you do the left
0: thing first and make sure you can aim correctly. And yeah. then you shoot with the.: ah. So
2: I wonder if those just stumbled into each other, or if there was real more deliberate uh, uh, design there. Yeah. Um, I, I would bet that is kind of some of that is just coincidence. And that's one of the reasons why it's endured. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think it might have just started just because uh, also the face buttons are on the right and those are action buttons. Right. So there's, you know, well, yeah, part of the reason why they do that is because then you can use
0: that. You can still have your face buttons to do stuff and then also uh, shoot with the trigger. So, like yeah. your thumb is free to do things. Right, right, right. To right. aim and shoot. Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: So, like, that's there's a reason for that convention, I suppose. Right, that's why shooting moved off the face buttons to a trigger at all. Yep. Um, yeah. Exactly.
1: That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has a lot to do with um, hand and, ad, like, how, it, how our hands work. Yeah. Um,
2: there's Actually, there's a really good one there where uh, the difference between Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3 in that era of consoles. On the Xbox 360, the triggers were uh, nice and squishy mm-hmm. and felt like, you know, uh, 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 had good action. Yeah. On the PlayStation 3, the analog triggers were not great. No. And so many games, because you don't actually need analog control to fire a weapon in most games. Mm-hmm. Um, the standard on PlayStation Three was the the bumpers. The, oh, or, that's right. L one R one. were the firing buttons for most games that were cross platform. Hmm. Um, and I think Sony themselves did it as well. I
0: mean, most games in general. Yeah, like Uncharted. I think you shoot with the with the uh,
2: yeah. shoulder button. And so it was. I there was. am um, trying to think of there was a series where I played one on Xbox and one on PlayStation, mm-hmm. and it was like kind of confusing. And I was like, oh. I know why these are different. It, I didn't discover it until then. Yeah. Um. But yeah, the triggers on the the PS3 controller were not great, but on the PS4 they're really good. Mm-hmm. And so it, it that convention has changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, now they're the same on on both of those. Yeah.
1: I've, I was just thinking about how controllers, like, there's a whole language around those, like the fact that we call the the top buttons on the top shoulder buttons yeah. and yeah. the buttons on the front face buttons. It's yeah. like we're mapping it to a, a face.
0: Oh, uh, so a body. Yeah. Sort of, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really
1: interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, also with that is button placement. Uh, like you were saying, like Nintendo and and Sony, or it was Sony versus everybody else, right? Or how did that work? You, you knew yeah, about so, that. Yeah, so,
2: okay. So I love this story. I love telling this story. I <laughs> Um, I'm sure parts of it are apocryphal, but so what Martha's referring to is that on on a Nintendo console the A button is the right right face button on Xbox uh a is the bottom face button of the, of the diamond pattern, and on PlayStation the cross button, which is the main action button is also on the bottom um so nintendo's the odd odd man out in this scenario, but the story is much more interesting than that so Nintendo uh was the Super Nintendo establishes the diamond pattern the before a b x y right. Um, and then, uh, some you know, a couple years later, uh, Sony Sony comes out with the PlayStation. It has its four things. They very specifically didn't want to use letters. They didn't want to use numbers the way that the Sega was using on the Genesis. Oh yeah, they're like, let's do something new and different. We're a new player, and um, you know, I think a lot of that was just the desire to be different more than any other logical reason. I think the designer would even say so. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, now in Japan, um, the circle means. Uh, is a yes. It's a check mark. Right. That's a culturally. That's what that means. And X, ah. X is no. Right. So yes and no. So whereas um, in in America, like it's not exactly the opposite, but um, X feels more like an action to us. And so X and O. So anyway, so the, the PlayStation in Japan to this day, in fact, um, has uh, the circle button is the main action button, and the X button is the is the back button. Oh yeah, yes, and when and you know uh, for developers who are making games on PlayStation, um, if you release it in Japan, you want to stick to that, and then you if you release in the West, you do switch it. So it's uh, uh, games are different depending on what region they are because players expect that. So in Japan, uh, Sony is the same as Nintendo because that's that's how it goes. Right now, when uh, uh, PlayStation came to America, Sony America, the division uh, of Sony was not thinking too much about the future. Mm -hmm. And they were like, you know what? It makes more sense to have this, the X, the cross button, be the action button and the circle button to be the secondary back button. That feels more right to us as Americans. Mm -hmm. So they switched it and then PlayStation became enormously popular right around the world. And, and, And the American game audience is the biggest audience in the world. And so when Microsoft came into play, mm-hmm. they needed their own li- little thing. And now uh, Microsoft had interested in PC gaming where like generic controllers used, you know, ABC, whatever. Yeah. So they weren't as interested in being different. So like, mm-hmm. why wow, we'll just use letters. It's fine. But mo- like the audience they were going for were PlayStation gamers. Mm. So they put A on the bottom. Ah. and so that is what's going on. so it's all Sony America's fault <laughs> and um, so it, we think of Nintendo as being different and Nintendo will never change it's like iconic no. to the Nintendo brand yeah. like more so than even for the others I don't think well, that the others will change but yeah. it makes
1: sense too when, you, when you're thinking about the Game Boy because the Game Boy only had two buttons yeah and they put still put them in the same configuration too. Yeah,
2: and on the on the yeah. original Nintendo, it was B A, and that seems because a lot of time people remember like the two buttons and they're just horizontally placed. Mm-hmm. Like, why isn't it A B? Why is it B A? It's because A is closest to your thumb, and B mm-hmm. is a little further inward to the controller. Yeah. So that that's where that comes from originally. And um, so uh, yeah, Nintendo's the odd one out there, and they'll never change. Um, but in Japan, uh, Microsoft is the odd one out and the Xbox does not sell in Japan. Right. Not, not for that reason, <laughs> but for other reasons. Uh-huh. Uh, so it's for, for a lot of uh, Eastern gamers, there's not a problem. Mm. Like, it's just not a problem. Um, I'm actually really curious about the PlayStation, like the, the cross and circle, like how it's distributed. I know in Europe and, and America, North America and in South America... Uh, it is cross is the main and in Japan circle is the main button, but i 'm curious about like uh in you know Southeast Asia and China, like in those other regions in Korea, like what do they do, and I think a lot of that probably has to do with the cultural cachet of the cross meaning the check mark mm-hmm, right i 'm mm-hmm. sure that's that 's probably what what tells it, but I think in most places it is like we have it in America um because most regions take their cue from you know, uh, American conventions. I
1: just, I love that story
2: because like people complain about like, why won't one just change? It's like, it's complicated. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's not Nintendo's fault. Yeah, it's not They've Nintendo's They've been fault. consistent this whole time. This whole time,
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> I still want to just blame Microsoft.
2: Yeah. Cause. <laughs> so, side note though, the, the, the Dreamcast uh-huh. had an ABXY it did. that was set up like the Xbox One. And and so I don't really know where that comes into it. I think the story is cleaner without that. As a side note, but Mm. that might have something to do with it because it came out around the same time as the Dreamcast or the the first Xbox. Right. Um, But Ah. I don't really know what the story is there. Why they why they abandon ABC, for example? Mm -hmm. Like I don't know. That's a good story. Yeah.
1: So if you're not playing with a controller, um, you probably are playing with a keyboard. Why would you though? (laughs) Good question. Because PC games.
0: (laughs) Should use controllers
1: but the pc though and the mouse and the clicking, <laughs> and the clicking. <laughs>
2: i mean it's got like greatest hits on this episode
1: <laughs> um, but yeah so um, because on most keyboards the the arrow keys are on the right side mm-hmm. like the convention has been to use the wasd keys as arrow keys instead so that you mouse with your right hand WASD with your left hand yeah. do left handed gamers switch it so they can use the you know I've never n- noticed that
2: My, I would guess um, that le- people who use their mouse with the left hand I'm just guessing now but I would guess they use IJKL Oh. Um, uh, just as sort of like a mirroring kind of thing but it might be that they use because a lot of times laptop keyboards or certain keyboards the arrow keys are not arranged exactly the same Right. Um, I really would be curious to know that too not certain.
1: If you're left-handed, let us know. Yeah, well,
2: I'm left-handed, but I use a computer with my right hand. Oh. Um, and and Yeah, I
1: thought you were left-handed. so yeah. That's why I looked at you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I, I do I do a lot of things right-handed just because it's the world we live in. <laughs> so I play I'm guitar sorry. right-handed. And, <laughs> no, I it's a, a side note. I love being left-handed on a computer because I do I do almost all my drawing now digitally with my right hand, mm. but I'm but I sketch with my left hand. And when I'm on the computer, it's really, it's I can't use like a, a Wacom tablet, like, because it, it doesn't quite, I don't have enough hands to do the right things exactly. Sure. Um, I really like uh, having that because my left hand is free to draw, sketch, uh, um, you know, spin a pencil, like, uh, do uh, cognitive things with my left hand, which is a, my dominant hand, mm-hmm. while I'm using my right hand to do my dominant activity. Oh. So, so I feel like I, it's like a weird, it's like a pop psychology theory I have that, like, I'm just really effective because I, I'm sort of. I could use both halves of my brain or something. Like, Like,
0: it feels more efficient because you're doing more stuff?
2: I honestly don't know if that's the case, but it really feels like that. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Now, playing guitar, it ruined me because I'm like, oh, great, my left hand for all the fingering. That's the complicated stuff. Wrong. Finger picking is the complicated stuff, and I can't do that (laughs) because I never learned because that's my right hand, and that's just strumming up and down. That's all I ever taught it to do, so sad story. Yeah. All right, go on.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Did they make left hand... Side note. Did they make left hand... Guitar Hero guitars.
2: Um, you can just play it left-handed.
1: Oh, um, oh yeah, I suppose because it's not actually you don't have. There's no up and down yep. like differentiation between and buttons.
2: And on most of them, you can unscrew the little attachment that like the strap attached to, and flip it to the other like hook part of the guitar so that it will actually flip over. I oh, think that's pretty cool. standard on all those plastic oh, guitars. I thought
0: that was just so you could spin your guitar around in shows.
2: Also, a reason <laughs> for it, I'm sure.
0: <laughs> I guess. I don't play guitar, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> I did a bass clarinet, and that would be dangerous to be spinning around. So, yeah. Whack! <laughs> Whack. Right in the face.
1: <laughs> How did Steven wh- knock himself out? Um, he's just doing his cool bass clarinet tricks. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's edit this out.
2: <laughs> so, back to WASD. Yes. Like, I do notice some keyboards have like um, special like gamer keyboards. Martha's smile is really amazing <laughs> right now to see her light up at this idea. Um, they have like uh, uh, metal keys because they get a lot of wear.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. Do they really have metal keys? For- oh yeah. And God, I d- I you these? can get
1: like special like keys that you can put in there and also like that have like texture on them so you can find them without having to look at the keyboard. Oh, yeah. And then you can get them where they light up a different color than the rest <laughs> of the keyboard. <laughs> Okay. It's very cool. Okay, continue. <laughs> well,
2: the ones I'm most interested in, and I don't think this has caught on with anybody because I don't think it has a lot of developer support, which is analog keys, mm. right? That lets you do actual proper strafing instead of just tap, 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 tap to like, you know, Intra-wave. step a little bit. Yeah. That's the problem I've always had with, with with mouse and keyboard is the mouse is like fully fluid and analog and point and click, as you've described it, Martha. Uh, and, but the the w s a d is just so crude, like compared to a con 's having two analog sticks, and it doesn 't bother people because games are not designed to require that level of uh, uh, um, uh, intricacy with strafing movements mm-hmm. but why not like i'm i 'm always
1: confused about that, yeah, you should make a game called strafe hero <laughs>
2: <laughs> nobody will play it but there are there are some keyboards that have analog uh uh keys for those. Huh. Uh, and so they can be supported. So they, like,
1: so they like you can press different parts of them. Or? It's just
2: um, it just as it becomes a value of zero to one as you press it down on uh. an analog scale. So games that only support normally will just once they read the one, it'll just you know. I think mean, there's a there's a piece of software that translates it I think to the game. So it's not I don't think it needs to be explicitly supported. But games that allow for um, analog control, or I'm sure there's some utility which lets you map those keys to like the left joystick or something so that it kind of re- gives those proper values I, d- I haven't looked into it in a while but i always thought that was really interesting but i don't think gamers care like because they're just used to what they're used to because it's a convention right yeah yeah
1: it's true mm-hmm. so you were talking Stephen, a little bit of before about um like characters and culturally we think like if we see a big Big character, beefy character, mm-hmm. that they're going to be a tank. Yeah. And if they're little, they're going to be super fast. Right, right.
0: Yeah, like this is <laughs> definitely the case in fighting games. If you have a big, brawny character, they're normally, uh, uh, they normally are they move slow, but they pack heavy punches. And then the smaller characters are fast uh, and light. So they'll deal a little damage with each hit, but they're really quick, so they can get in and out really fast. So, yeah, that's a, a normal convention. I guess it's largely the case just because. In general, fast things move fast, or, or
2: or small things move fast, and big things move slow. That's generally the case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that comes from sort of the the um, almost like an animal instinct mm-hmm. um, that that we have. Like, right. we, it, it's not I don't know that's a gaming convention, but it's been solidified. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yep.
1: Yeah, like you can pick your character just by, by sight some most of the time. Yeah, if You want yeah. to know, like. You know, figure out what mechanics that you're going to be able to do. Exactly.
2: You know what is weird about that is Mario Kart, which has always done this, even from the first one. I think mm. where Bowser was a little slower but could knock you further if you got hit, and yeah. Toad was zippy and and and, and oh weak. yeah. But uh, Mario Kart characters like actually physically, like how they're really representative, do, are not that different in size. <laughs> yeah. That's true. And so it's actually, kind of, and now that there's so many characters, mm-hmm. like knowing the difference between like Yoshi and Luigi, like there are differences, yeah. but w- they don't, they're the same height basically. Yeah. In terms of Mario Kart. It's also really weird in Mario
0: Kart because the big, like in the newer ones anyway, uh, the bigger characters have faster, uh, Max speed, but slower acceleration, and the, the yeah. smaller characters have lower max speed but higher acceleration. Oh, Okay. So like, which I, there's some logic to that. Yeah, it might be. It's a little counterintuitive, perhaps to some mm-hmm. people. Yeah, but that's mm. weird. I guess it's like momentum in that way. Like it takes a little bit for the bigger characters to get going,
2: but once they do, they keep going. Right. Right. Of course, the, where this breaks down is it's it's irrespective of which vehicle they have. Right. <laughs> which yeah. would yeah. which would really make the difference. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> I mean you gotta haul all of Bowser around. You Mm. you gotta have a powerful engine for that. Yeah. (laughs) Can't be doing that in a scooter.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So the next thing on the list is saves and auto saves. Like when games first started, there really wasn't a save thing. You just had to like start over, basically, right? Mm
0: -hmm. And then they implemented passwords?
2: Or was that before? Well, that was a way around having to have any memory. It's just to have checkpoints pre-built. With, yeah. You know, Metroid did that, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: They used it, they did that a lot on Game Boy games. And I remember we had like lists of checkpoints, yeah, uh, as kids. It was great, but now we've gotten to the point where like you can save and come back to whatever you were doing, or mm-hmm. save and res
2: or make a new decision or whatever. Yeah, you I mean, m- most games you don't have to save at all, yeah, it, it right? just the doesn't. The act work. of saving is just not as much of a thing, mm-hmm. but so you know, go to a menu, like games that still do require you to actually save your progress are really, really explicit about their warnings, mm-hmm. yeah, they're like. Just so you know, this is not one of those games. Near yeah. that- Automata does that. <laughs> really? Like
0: so the first the first you in the demo, that that first section, if you die at all, you have to go back to the beginning because you can't save and it's there's a story reason or blah blah blah. <laughs> um, um and so a lot of people would complain. I like they get all the way to the boss and in that beginning section and they die and they have to start at the beginning. They're like, What the heck? Uh and but they're really explicit about it. They're like, this game does not have auto saves.
2: Got to save every time, mm-hmm. and people still complain about it. And that was—that's actually a game mechanic in yes. this game. It's you're, that's supposed to be part of your gameplay experience. It's pr- yeah, there's it's so part. much meta. In it's that part game. of the
0: gameplay experience and narrative experience because you're this yeah. robot that can rebuild itself, but only rebuild itself at certain stations. Yeah, so that's where you save. Mm. So you got to like go to a place to save. You can't just like make saves everywhere. Right. Right.
1: Um, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. There's a bunch of games that like do kind of both auto saves and your own saves, mm-hmm. like. Um, I know Dishonored and Dishonored 2 do that, where you're like, it auto saves every so often. But then also, you can explicitly make saves, and like, that becomes part of it. If you mess up, you can go back, and or like, you're like, oh crap, I killed this person. I didn't want to kill them. <laughs> and so, you can like go back to uh, old save. Yeah. Um, yeah,
0: saving and is really useful in games where you uh, make a lot of decisions and uh, those impact, like, future decisions and stuff because you can always go back and make the new decision if you want. So, like, visual novels, they have a whole bunch of saves and stuff uh, because of that reason.
2: So you can go back and make new decisions. Right, it's sticking your finger in the book before you turn the page. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Right.
1: And it's also, like, some games that there's, like, over a higher level of save, like... Like, for example, most of the Pokemon games, you can only have one save file, like only one player, Hmm. Um, which is why it forced families to have to buy more than one if they had more than one (laughs) child. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But then like Zelda, you could have like three saves or something. Right, the save
2: slot. Save slot. That's the
1: word I was trying to find. (laughs) Yes. Um, And now most games have it so that you can have multiple games.
2: Um, right right. so like an untold number because scroll lists can go forever yeah right and I, I know there's like some things uh, for console games anyway there's some sometimes this is done at the system level like I know PlayStation is per, not every game does it but sometimes when you just hit save in a game it takes you to a PlayStation menu and the list and just like new or replace or whatever um, and so that's kind of built in at the platform level on a lot of these these things now mm-hmm.
1: yeah like you pick which which per, which user of the console you want to play right as.
2: right we just put in save slots in Witcher's at satchel. Yes. We're going to have three just yeah. like just like the classic games. <laughs> That's
1: awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> That's really cool.
2: But you don't have to do it manually. It'll auto save for you. No problem. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> I was listening to a talk, maybe it was at GDC, about save points mm-hmm. um, and how picking, like figuring out where your save points should be is like really difficult.
0: Yeah. Totally, because you don't want it to make it feel like the save points are giving you an advantage in a, in a, in a fight if you mess up because that feels terrible. Uh, but you also don't want to have to do like 30 minutes of work o- every time. So like you got to place it in positions that make the player feel like it was fair, but uh, also not
2: too not fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, you want a little bit of that atten- that tension of right. like of, of you don't want to lose your progress. Yeah. Otherwise yeah. you just don't you just can goof off and just move forward. Right.
0: Yeah. You want the you really you want the players to feel like they're wa- they're losing time but not progress. I think okay. I think that that's how I'm saying it now I guess. That's what yeah. I, that's the way I am interpreting it. Like in the middle of a boss you don't want to You want to feel like if you die at this boss, you have to, you know, do the near automata thing and start the entire process <laughs> over. Um, but you also want to feel like you have to s- defeat this challenge. And this is the time, or this is like that time you set to focus on fighting it. So like, I think as a player, I would be fine with uh, using my time to fight this boss over and over and over again and failing and then hopefully succeeding eventually. Mm-hmm. Whereas with, uh,
2: uh, if I had to do the entire level over, I feel like I'm wasting progress. Losing progress each time, right? Like you, you died in the boss. You didn't like so bring you back further than that. Mm-hmm. Feels like it's just you. You did that already. You yeah. pr- you proved yourself there. Yeah. And so I think like deciding where those points are is really about breaking up your game into sort of like um, conceptual chunks. Yeah, where like a player would wouldn't even conceive to have to do it again once they get to a certain point. Right, and then also in the middle of it, if they do have to do it, that it makes sense to them to have to redo that part that they didn't complete that section mm-hmm. right and then certain games those are big sections certain games those are smaller right um, yeah exactly it's, yeah definitely easier said than done mm-hmm.
1: um, when i first got borderlands the pre sequel i may or may not have gotten a legal copy um, <laughs> and uh they may or, like maybe maybe not legal copy had a glitch in it um, where it might have it might have <laughs> had a glitch in it where um, it the last t- two or three um, fast travel points didn't spawn correctly. It mm-hmm. uh, wouldn't let me fast travel to them. And they're basically the safe spots um, because they're where you get respawned. Mm. S- and all of the enemies respawn if you get respawned back. So um, so I had to do the last part of the game basically straight
2: with <laughs> that. Oh. You would have had to.
1: Right. <laughs> if that was a thing that I did. I now have a Legal copy, which may or may not have been the case the whole time. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's all perfectly legal.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, when glitches happen with the saves, that can really impact your game. Oh yeah, I think
2: the, the most furious uh, uh, gamers will get is when they, <laughs> they have to play the thing they liked again. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh darn. <laughs>
2: I do like the way you boiled that down. Because well, that's like, just kinda of what it comes down to. I like, know,
0: but like I will still get extremely angry when I lose my save. Yeah. So but like at the end of the day it's like I enjoyed playing this yeah. game.
2: Yeah, but I It's totally like when the like saves get corrupted it's totally the um the film burns out in the middle of the third act, or something. Yeah, yeah, it's like you know, at least in the old days, you couldn't just like turn off the projector. have Everyone wait in the lobby for five minutes and then go back. Mm-hmm. You, you had to re, you had to, you can't, you can't rewind thirty five minutes of film. Yeah, so you just had to like go to another screening late or something. It's that same feeling of yeah. like, Ugh, you know,
0: yeah, it's just you did all this already, and it was fun, and I had a good time, but like I don't <laughs> want to do it again. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, there's been some high profile cases of that. I mean, we could link to the show notes, but I think everyone knows what we're talking about. Basically, <laughs> you yeah. probably heard about it. Like, but yeah, that just the fury of it because it's like it isn't a matter of like, oh, this game has a bug that doesn't let me do this or whatever. Like, uh-huh. people get upset about that, or the. But I think people understand, or they find ways around it, or they make jokes about it. Right. I think when it's your save, yeah, like people have they get more emotionally invested in that.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, especially if you've been building up a character and yeah. then you have to like make the same decisions or like you found really cool items in a like procedurally generated item. Yeah. Thing or yep. whatever, and you'll never find them again. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: they they just don't want to be told that it, in the end it doesn't matter.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah,
2: burn on gamers. So I, I guess <laughs> I don't know why I'm so salty about that. I don't know. <laughs> just like well the things that matter to you matter to you. Yeah, do yeah. that.
0: I do want to bring up that like in in video games, oftentimes you'll find food in the weirdest places, but it always gives you help, <laughs> like trash cans or dumpsters. Yeah, or enemy carcasses. That's weird.
1: Oh, yeah. That is a good point. <laughs> right. Like, you just stabbed this enemy, and it fled all over, and now yeah. you're getting the meat from yep. the thing, yep. or like they're a full, carrying a full, a whole yeah. loaf of bread. Yeah, or
2: it. a fully cooked chicken. Yeah, the chicken in the garbage can. It's like the street's rage uh, or something. I yeah. oh, mean, uh, I love that trope <laughs> way back. And that, that's, that's a great fun thing for indie developers to do, is to play on that language that mm-hmm. that that convention for gamers the one I always find the most hilarious though is like Bioshock Infinite oh, which yeah. is the most self serious game there ever was yeah. and you can find hot dogs in the garbage can like wow <laughs> like, <laughs>
0: Why are they in the garbage?
2: You can go to like the, the, the bank yeah. and like go into the safety deposit box of this ruined thing uh-huh. and find a bag of chips. Like oh, that's, <laughs> that's, crazy. that's it's crazy. It's because it's randomized, yeah. you know, a lot of that stuff. And mm-hmm. it's just like it breaks it, breaks the illusion so completely. But that that convention is so strong mm-hmm. that a lot of people don't question it at all. Oh. You know?
0: Right, right. Um another one is like Infinite Inventory, where like, you know, your your the main character has a bajillion oh, yeah. in two pockets. Oh yeah. And you yeah. can yeah. just store you know uh, a shotgun in one pocket and a giant well, safe in another one and <laughs> thousands of dollars in the next yeah Yeah. that's fun stuff
1: yeah i think who made this video there's some, some comedy video where someone tried to they tried to do a video game level like larp, LARP uh, in real life a video game level with yeah. picking up everything they found and somehow like attaching it to themselves uh-huh. And like at the end they're like Waddling with all this, stuff. <laughs> it's pretty good.
0: I would love it if, like, a uh, video game played off that to the point where, like, you could just literally take anything and put it in your inventory, like enemies and stuff, uh, or your health bar, and just like slot it. Oh know? my
1: god, <laughs> Stephen, I'll make this game with you.
2: <laughs> that do does it. sound really
0: interesting. I know,
1: right? Let's
2: do it. It was just like yeah, analyzing the logical extreme of a system like that. Yeah. It's fantastic, yeah. Call it the game of holding. <laughs> the game of holding. Oh my god! <laughs> you guys. <laughs> next nice games club game jam. Next next jam. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny, we have, um, you know, in Widget Satchel, the the conceit of that game is when you pick up collectibles, your satchel fills up and gets heavy. Yeah, oh, so, yeah. So weight is an important game mechanic in the game. Mm-hmm. So we were thinking like, oh, uh, that also changes how the pathing works, and long story short, we need to come up with some other type of collectible that would motivate you to get to secret areas, but not reward you with a bunch of widgets that would make it harder for you to get out of that area. Yeah. So we're like, okay, let's have this system called trinkets, where there's just like little bits of fun, jokey items that you collect that are just sort of like fun collectibles. And we're like, okay, great, but they have to weigh nothing. They yeah. have to conceivably weigh nothing. Yeah, otherwise it totally breaks the logic of the game. And you know the game has a lot of broken logic if you really put your, you know, your mind to it. But right. we do have a set of sort of like narrative rules, and so it was kind of it was a little tricky to come up with lists of things that would make sense that wouldn't feel like, oh, this is heavier than a nine volt battery, so it can't. It, it, so the player will it'll strain credibility to. Mm-hmm to To use this as a trinket, and yeah. we ended up with it in a good place. Yeah, but like it took a lot more thinking than you might expect. <laughs> right. Well, actually, Widget Central is a good example of subverting conventions
0: because normally, when you have inventory, it does yeah. not affect your movement at all. Um, but until
1: in, you get like, if there, if if it affects your inventory, it's when you have over over encumbered. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> that is the most obnoxious thing, yeah. it's Skyrim. Uh, <laughs> 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 but yeah, like we, we we play with that because like in, in specific. In specific Especially in platformers, uh, like when you pick up a bunch of coins, you don't have to uh, think about like Mario not being able to jump as high or move. Yeah, as where
2: far. does he put those coins? <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly.
2: You that's, don't have to think that. That's about the it. question
0: that Widget Satchel answers. <laughs> yes, in your Widget Satchel. <laughs> <laughs> but like, there's there's examples of games that like break those conventions and things mm-hmm.
2: um, that that are sometimes frustrating yeah. when they do that. Um, but even like, we had. Oh, go ahead. Nope. Okay. <laughs> even we had trouble. Uh, Totally subverting that, yeah. Because in our original uh, jam version, uh, we had this curve, which was as you picked up uh, each widget, would make you so much heavier, right? Mm-hmm. And then, but then we have to design platforming puzzles around this when we, it, which is difficult enough already to like do a system like that. Yeah. and We've we found, yeah. but um, the, the thing is, if the uh, the change is so minute, then the player will have a, a hard time understanding it. So we implemented something called weight tiers, which is you can pick up as many widgets up to a certain point. And then your tier changes, and then that's when the stats change. And it, it doesn't really follow the rule that we established, which uh-huh. is that everything makes you heavier. Uh-huh. But narratively, that is still in place. It just now aligns better with using the, the systems so the player will understand it better. And so each tier has a name and a UI element as well, which uh, for players who want to investigate it can really like find out. But for the most part, it, it, you, the, the changes are at a threshold, and that makes it easier for us to design, and it makes it like possible for players to understand. Because mm-hmm. um, originally, it's like it's a, just a slow dawning, and then once they figure out the rule, they're like, "Well, then, how do I know how much I can carry to jump this high?" And nothing in the game can tell you that without being really explicit about it. So we yeah. had to refine it and and dial it back a little bit in a kind of interesting way.
0: Yeah, yeah,
2: but like that's an example of trying to do that and, and trying to subvert
0: the trope and like. Having difficulty doing it at the same time, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's fun to be able to design around those challenges with which it's hatchel, and like, uh, yeah.
1: Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say it's fun once you know all of these rules um, to like pick one thing to flip and and yeah. th- that's how you can find new innovative games and game ideas and mechanics and stuff. Is like, what if we did it like this?
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. when you Try to subvert these rules. That's when you learn why they're there in the first place. (laughs) It's not just a matter of like a ball rolling down a hill. There are reasons for these things, Mm -hmm. you know. I mean, we went over a lot of them in our while we were talking here. Mm -hmm.
1: But uh, yeah, like I wanted to specifically talk about this because I play a lot of Flint Hook, (laughs) and for some reason, the Flint Hook designers decided that. Red equals good and green equals bad. Red equals you can buy this thing in the store. Green equals you don't have enough money for it. And it is the most frustrating thing I think I've ever had to deal with in a game. It takes so much cognitive load while shopping to think, to ignore all the green things that are green and shiny and bright and go for the thing that is red. Yeah. Like,
2: ah. Are there other really, like, good examples of ones that just break things for no good reason? Um, there's an example of
0: thing, a game that breaks things for a reason. Uh, Eternal Darkness Sanity's Requiem that yeah. was a, is a game on GameCube. I did not play because this is a horror game. Uh-huh. But the reasoning, <laughs> like, this game will, like, I guess you're, like, going insane or something, which, you know, I guess is a troubling <laughs> way of saying things. But uh, the way that it, the game works is, like, it will, like, Do a lot of tricks on you to make you stop playing the game or make you feel like you've lost progress or make you feel like something's wrong, like in a weird way. So, like, for example, they might have like you're playing through the game. You go down this hallway and then a pop up might show up and say your your save was corrupted. Yeah, and players would be like, "Oh no, I gotta start over." Like you were just saying, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> but uh, it is actually just like in the game that like you, your save was not corrupted, but yeah. like it's it's messing with the
2: meta of the game itself. Yeah, is not there also one where it like it changes to a blue screen? And it says like "Video One" in the corner or something. Oh yeah, to mimic as if your console was unplugged. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, it's beautiful.
2: <laughs> like I love that idea. I'm never gonna play that game. It's just yeah. scary, but. I love that idea. It's really cool. This is a famous one in the first Metal Gear Solid game, mm. where you're doing a boss battle, and then, and you're you're totally ineffective. You're like he's invincible. Oh yeah. And I think you can hold your own, but you can't make progress. And there's subtle hints as to how to solve it. And the way to solve it is to unplug your controller, plug it into player two. Oh, that's right. Because then, because player two, because the 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 boss reads your mind. And when you plug into Player Two, you you're hiding from his mind reading, basically. Yeah. Um, which is a clever like the things about I don't like those games for a lot of reasons, mm-hmm. but one of the nice about it is they do actually take a lot of that breaking the fourth wall in a way that still keeps it like or they they sort of like see through the fourth wall without breaking it. Yeah, exactly is maybe a better way to put it. That's a Kojima esque way of doing anything. Yeah,
0: it's that kind of stuff. <laughs> and the other fun
2: part about that one is that it'll uh, the boss will read if you have a memory card in yeah. there, it'll read. Uh, there's a certain list of like other Konami games, I think. Which it will like the boss will say, "Oh, I see you like such and such, I don't know any other Konami games. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which was uh, even on the GameCube version, it was the same. A couple mm-hmm. of Nintendo games or something like yeah. that. Yeah, like the the like that's kind of cool. That yeah. kind of stuff. It's playing with what player right. knows and how they expect to engage with it.
1: Mm-hmm. It's like um that game we played for one of the um, um nice plays that would read read your um, computers. Oh wow! Uh, one, oh, yeah, one, one shot. One shot. You know. Yeah, and it was like, "Hello, Mark." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was weird. Um, people on the Slack, when we were talking about conventions and stuff, we're we're talking about um, a couple games that messed with the health bar thing mm. um, and made it more realistic in different ways. Um, uh, is Not Short talked a lot about Project Zomboid, mm. which um, you have to use. Like, if you get hit in, or some part of your body gets hurt, you get. Like, it affects different parts of what you do. So, like, if your leg gets hit, then you move slower or something like that. Or, yeah. like, if your arm gets hit, it takes longer to switch items or something. Ah, okay. Um, and then people were talking about um, Metal, Metal Gear Solid 3, um, where you had to use, spe- like, specific healing items to heal specific injuries. And you had to, like, use them in a specific order.
0: Mm. Mm, okay.
1: Um, and then you were talking about Bushido Blade, yes. or something I got it like
0: confused that. with Samurai Showdown, which is a different game. It's a 2D fighting game, and yeah. But Bushido Blade is a 3D fighting game where like you're all samurais, and uh, there's no health bars or anything. It's when you if you get stabbed in the chest, you automatically die. Uh, but like if you get stabbed in the arm or something, you don't die. You just lose the ability to use that arm or that leg or whatever that limb. Um, so it like it it changes like traditional fighting game uh, language in that way. Hmm pretty interesting
1: that's really cool mm-hmm. um there is i just thought of this when we were talking about i was talking about borderlands is they made a thing that instead of like when you first die you go into this thing called fight for your life which is a little oh, yeah. countdown timer uh-huh. and then if you can kill an enemy in that time you get revived automatically right which was kind of cool way to give you a second chance without being like weird about it or yeah. something. <laughs> um, um yeah. Are there any other games you can think of that like mess with the tropes and that we haven't already talked about?
2: Um I think I might have mentioned this on the show before, but one of the trouble things problems I had with Assassin's Creed Origins was that the the uh, the swing, the like the melee attack was mapped to the right uh, bumper or L or R1 mm-hmm. and I had the hardest time getting over that because the convention for a lot of third person action games is to put it on uh X or square. Yeah.
0: Right, um,
1: cuz it's melee.
2: Yeah. Right.
0: The newest God of War does the same thing. Mm-hmm. It, like it has it on the trigger. Yeah. And it's meant it's to free up your
2: thumb for other buttons, but right. like, well, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I just
0: <laughs> well also with God of War you can throw your axe and stuff. So oh, okay. like it, there's some so reasoning some mapping, for it, yeah.
2: But like I I could not do. I didn't like it. yeah, so. yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, there's always these little moments of like, yeah, are you fighting a convention because you have a good reason to? Or are you fighting it to subvert it? Yeah. Um, or are you fighting it because you don't know better? <laughs> like, there's I don't know. There's like a lot of different reasons why uh, the, these rules are there and a lot yeah. of different reasons why you challenge them.
0: Yeah. I've always wanted to make a game where like you, it's just a traditional platformer, but all the buttons are randomized. Mm-hmm. Uh I, I'm debating on whether or not I want it to be like randomized every time you press the button, so you have to find the new jump button every time you <laughs> press, even move. But that sounds just annoying. So Sound, maybe not.
1: Sounds like a certain toothbrushing game that. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh yeah.
2: <laughs> That's right. Yeah, the tooth is out there. The first game jam game Martha and I worked on uh, had that, where the controls were you had to discover them. Yeah, uh, and that was part of the part of the gameplay. Although for a full platformer, I think that would be. Like controller tossingly frustrating. Yeah, I imagine so. But that'd be a, it'd be a good little uh, experiment that you know to put on itch. Yeah, I'm right? not trying to sell it to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to try. Yeah, it. don't take people's money for that.
1: No. Clawbreaker <laughs> does weird control things because we had right. to make enough buttons for you to do everything.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do, you can you it is a, it is essentially platform mechanics, but you use the bumpers to move left and right mm-hmm. instead of the arrows. Right, and the control oh. sticks move your arms. And mm-hmm. aim your arms instead of like moving the character. Yeah. just really weird, but it works. And then consequently you hold the thing like a claw. So yeah, which is great. <laughs> yeah. I don't
0: think it's we, a
1: crab based control scheme. Yeah. Not a, hu- <laughs> not a human based control scheme. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Definitely. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up is that my mom recently said that, uh, she, she, like she played, she really only played one game a lot and it was ghosts and goblins. Yeah. When she was younger. Um, and, and, like as she's grown older and stuff like she hasn't really played games but me and my brother and my dad would play games all the time mm-hmm. um and my mom uh was like i if i ever wanted to play any of these newer games i feel like i need to play the older ones to have an understanding of what the newer ones are gonna how
2: they work oh it like um, it builds on it uh, right yeah it's, yeah. So, like, yeah. it's
0: kind of like it's really difficult if you haven't been playing games a lot to get into playing games because like a lot of these conventions that we were talking about do not make sense in the real world mm-hmm. and like when you're like. If you have uh, no understanding of how video games work and you jump into a thing and you see, you find this full whole cooked chicken in a dumpster, you're not going to eat it because it's in the dumpster. That's nasty. <laughs> but like, uh, if you play games all the time, you just, you know, you need health and you're like, oh, this is food. I can eat it. Yeah. And
1: food will give you health. You know that. Yes. You might not know that. Right, right.
0: Yeah. Like, so like, those, those kinds of things, it's kind of like, these are the kinds of things we don't think about. Like we make games, we play games, but like we don't think about how it—it's kind of difficult to even approach games because of all of these different languages that we have an understanding of yeah. that
2: uh, people who have not experienced games don't have. That's definitely true. When you're trying to target your game to an audience, you have to say like, "Well, what is? What can I expect this audience to bring to it?" You know, yeah. Like you find a, a turkey in a garbage can, you're like, I'm not gonna eat that. I'll fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> There's a really good example. There's a, a a really long Twitter thread by Rami Ismail where he uh, he uh, he, uh, he, uh, he sort of uh, documents his mom learning to play Final Fantasy 15. And the first tweet is like, got my mom Final Fantasy XV. She's learning twin stick controls. And then it's just like dozens of tweets. And then then she went and played Dragon Age Inquisition. And now she's playing like oh. a lot of games. And like, oh. and it, it's a really interesting story of someone learning how to play modern games. Uh, shepherded by someone who is like very friendly and like a, a wonderful guide uh, like uh, uh, Rami Ishmael is. And I find that really interesting. Um, my wife, Dale, um, her first like, twin-stick game was Portal 2. We played the co-op mode together. Mm-hmm. And uh, Portal 2, uh, I guess because Valve makes it, and they made, they're more of a PC game developer at, at their heart, there's a lot of uh, control options you can have, including changing the twin-sticks so that the left stick is move back and forward and turn left and right. And then the right stick is um, strafe left and right and look up and down which it, oh. which it, it 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 switches what the horizontal movement on both sticks does. Yeah. And Dale preferred um playing that for a long time and mm. I kept trying to tell her like not every game is going to let you do this. Yeah. But she insisted and that's how she was able to get into that and you know she's played a lot of games uh, including Final Fantasy 15 mm-hmm. and she's got it now. But like it it does when you're just not familiar with it it takes a while. And I what I think find funny about that con- scheme in particular is that's how GoldenEye works. The first like console First-person shooter, basically, oh. where the analog stick was turning left and yeah. right, and the the C buttons were strafing and looking up and down. Oh, and uh, I remember. Yeah, you're right. And I remember when I because uh, that was the I played that game a lot, uh-huh. and then when I played, uh, I think the next console shooter, I, I don't remember what it was, but mm-hmm. I it took me a minute. Yeah. Like to like oh okay I mean you know
0: yeah it takes a minute to like even understand the, the language
2: yeah uh, like I I've I've,
0: I've I've seen my brother show hyperdot to people a lot. And that game, in in terms of like video games, is extremely simple because there's really only one thing you need to know, and that's move with the control stick. Right, and there are
2: three things on a controller that you can do that with. Yeah, exactly. Like two sticks <laughs> and the D pad. Right, yeah. yeah.
0: So there's a lot of options for players, uh, but a lot of people are just scared away from the like even the controller itself mm-hmm. because like there's all these things on there, even though you don't need them, and uh, just like the idea of moving with the control stick is already kind of foreign because. That's not how you move in real life, yeah, so it's it's like it's still something you have to get used to. It's something you, that I don't really think about very often i take I take for granted a lot that game needs trackball controls <laughs> it could so you can put it in control. bars, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, that'd be a good place for it,
1: yeah, it's like how do you teach people um that in a way that they can it's not condescending or, but also like mm-hmm. you know. Helpful.
2: <laughs> it helps to imagine where where, you, where the things you don't aren't familiar with, mm-hmm. and I'm sure there's a class of gamer who that there is no example. But for me, it's like MMO controls, like the number key for all the different shortcuts, and oh like man, there's so and many there's a, there's a lot of conventions in MMOs that uh-huh. help people onboard to other games of its type. But um, that and I guess um, MOBAs are like that too. We have a lot of keyboard shortcuts That's that are sta- sort of standard in yeah. some sense. Um, I feel utterly lost, and I professionally use a keyboard every day. So mm-hmm. like. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, one way that helps is like just make sure that the key makes sense for what you're trying to do. Like, oftentimes the map button to pop up the map is the M button. Uh uh-huh. I mean, because M-
1: grenade is G and
0: and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. That helps a little bit. I mean, it only gets you so far, though. It uh, it really does. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Because then you got F ones and F twos and all that. <laughs> that's that's MMOs though. Oh <laughs> uh,
1: man, speaking of control schemes, Elite Dangerous is a game that I have such a hard time with. Yeah. Uh, because yeah, you're in space, so you can go literally any direction. And like I've had to change it all around so that my strafing and turning like flipping around oh, keys yeah. are all separate or like different than they the defaults and stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's so many shortcut keys that you can <laughs> make and like like Dylan shares his control scheme files out with people who are starting, so you can <laughs> just like import it. Oh Because wow. he's like, this is much better Then they're all in the controller. Yeah, yeah, and then you like have only a few on the keyboard that you have to do. Mm. But yeah,
2: goodness, crazy. Yeah, that seems like that's definitely of... a genre where the convention because it's not as the 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 uh, fully free moving space uh, simulator mm-hmm. is not there aren't it's not as po- not popular enough to have developed one standard for yeah. controls or for like visual indicators like how do you what's the horizon in space like if if there is none then what's the convention we're going to use instead yeah. to do that you know like and there doesn't seem to be an agreement uh, amongst that thing i i played Descent long ago which was one of the first games like that mm. where it was basically doom but like it but you know uh, but in all dimensions and whatever and that game you'd get lost so quickly cuz it had nothing to help you and that's kind of still true mm. right right yeah some of the, some games are just so unique that like they have
0: to create their own language for themselves yeah in order to get which is also fine yeah that's totally fine like uh, you, you it's just yeah you can like making up your own language for your game is totally fine too i mean like fighting games are weird in that they all have different kinds of some fighting games have a heavy hit and a light hit and some fighting games just have different buttons for the different ways you attack like horizontal versus vertical they're yeah. all different like they make sense for whatever game you're trying to make
2: so that's a really good one because fighting game controls so sometimes the famous like the uppercut is you just you roll your thumb yeah. over the the D pad or whatever, yeah. like in an uppercutty motion, yeah. like that. There's there's still some of that in 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 games where they try in fighting games, right? Where they yeah. try to like uh, f- physicalize it and m- make the metaphor, but mm. there's just too many things to do, yeah, for that all to work for everything. Yeah. Right? Oh,
0: that reminds me of uh there's the skate game that people really wanted to, to talk about at E3 this year, and then they got the the session game or whatever. A separate thing, but <laughs> anyways uh, skate has controls that like sort of try to mimic uh, the actions you would do when you're actually skating uh, with, uh, the right? yeah,
2: with the thumbsticks right with the thumbsticks, which
0: was pretty cool mm-hmm. it was it was it was kind of hard to get into but once you got it it
2: felt it felt cool yeah yeah yeah. there's the question of like how much to abstract versus how much to simulate mm-hmm. I think there's it's contextual depending on what type of game works best
1: for that right yeah. well now we're on to the sequel to my topic <laughs>
2: <laughs> that was a gimme.
1: <laughs> yeah, that one was easy. <laughs> uh,
2: this is my topic, the long-awaited sequels. Um, yeah, so I want to talk about uh, sequels and games and how they're different from other sequels in other properties. And yeah. like, you know, it's a, it's a definitely a big industry topic. I think people are familiar with sequels if they played any video games. Mm-hmm. Um, because they're much more common, uh, I think, than even in films, which has become... I mean, the entertainment industry is, is franchise and sequel-based uh, anyway. But games... Ever so much more so. Yeah. Um, so the 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 main difference, is, uh, I think, is that uh, for the perception anyway, is that people tend to think that movie sequels are get worse and worse. They're cashing in. They trade on a, 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 an interesting thing and they ground it. You know, so there's no edges left and mm-hmm. we, it gets worse and worse. Mm-hmm. There are some exceptions, um, but uh, in games, uh, sequels tend to be get better and better. Uh, because they're refined experiences. and uh, on the other hand, stories in games uh, you know have the same mixed history as stories in film. True. But it just says there's more to games than that, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I kind of maybe just talk about a bunch of sort of uh, famous examples, good, bad, the sort of model that things to use. Yeah. Um, the thing I'm thinking of the, the example I think of for like sequels being a, like a thing in games is like the Batman Arkham games, okay which are like each one is, is better than the previous one. Um, I mean, that's subjective, but, sure. uh, but like there's more to it. It's the refined, it becomes more of true version of itself. Mm-hmm. It's like it had three tries to get it to, to be what it wanted to right, be. Right, yeah. And I think that's true for a lot of these franchises, which um, uh, like it sort of, um, they have a vision and they can they can get most of the way there and it's a complete idea. And then like the, once they get another crack at it, they can sort of do it more like how they wanted to do it. Like, so there's that that, that pull between um, refinement and innovation, I guess. Because yeah. some sequels are just totally different, mm-hmm. and that's a big strength of them. But gamers generally buy a sequel because they want more and better of the same, which isn't like a knock on that that impulse. That is what sometimes can be good about these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's, there's a bunch of really famous good ones. So like Mario 3 might be the most famous like sequel that did that, where it was basically the sequel to Mario 1 there's Mario Two. We've talked about that on the show before. Mm-hmm. It's a whole other thing, um, where it just took it, exactly that formula and just was more and better. And you know, that's it—more and better, right? Yeah. Um, and then Mario Sixty Four is another type of sort of sequel, which reinvents a thing while keeping its it sort of the core intact, right? And I think that change from from Mario World to uh, Mario Sixty Four is important to that franchise because yeah. now every new Mario. Can be very different, yeah, because that's mm-hmm. a part of the core of that franchise. And so, sequels, in order to be the same, it has to be different, mm-hmm. right? And so, I think that's they—they they get to have their cake and eat it too a little bit. Um, they get to call back to the old, and they get to try something like totally new and different. They get to break things. They get to—they don't have to include every feature. Like they, it's, uh, that's the—that's the—that's the—the goal all franchises hope to is to be able to have that freedom uh, to do and also be as good as that. I suppose. Yeah, uh, Martha, you brought up Riven.
1: Uh, as a as a,
2: a, a famous sequel what's so great about ribbon
1: um well, also sequel is a mist and um it was they had like updated graphics and <laughs> like the story just expanded to be more way really cool and interesting and you learned all this backstory about like who the fam this family was and like what's going on and how these, the mechanics of these worlds work and yeah. stuff like that. And it was re- like, it's, it was awesome.
2: <laughs> yeah. Mist was a story. Riven was a world. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: You got to explore mm-hmm. and like they didn't hand you stuff. It was like, yeah, it was cool. Yeah. Yeah. And there were so many discs, (laughs) (laughs) so many. (laughs) Oh right,
2: because that game did come out on DVD, but it was on it was on like seven CDs or something in its first launch.
1: Yeah. That's the version I had yeah. where every time you would go to a new island or whatever it would be like please insert disc 5.
2: <laughs> right and because it was an oh, sort of a free roaming game you'd swap discs out all the time you'd do like 2 and 5 and 4 and whatever oh, yeah. wow yeah <laughs> because it was, it was whatever content that was. Goodness. Like either I wonder if is it each disc had the core game engine on it or did that just live in memory when you launched it? I'm you super know, curious about that. I don't
1: know. Yeah, now uh. I really want to know. <laughs>
2: Uh, so another really good one that's like that is Portal 2 where it really opened up the world and became a bigger thing um, uh, Portal was such a su- was a surprise hit like every Valve success has just been on accident and this is totally one of them and <laughs> <laughs> I don't disagree were they, like, like they they uh, was a a, a a university student I think came with this concept for uh, Portal it had a different name at the time yeah. uh, the, the mechanic was interesting uh, Valve uh, uh, hired that person and then uh, worked on um Uh, Kim Swift, is her name? I think, and um, uh, you guys can someone can fact check me on that. Um, and uh, they they worked on this game, and they they sort of like kind of put it in the Half Life universe. There was like some hints in the first Portal of that. Uh, because again, Valve doesn't want to come up with new ideas all the time, and so um, they just like, well, what are we gonna do with this? Well, we'll put it out for a couple bucks on PC, and then like we'll put it as like uh like product seven in this compilation disc of older titles called the Orange Box. Which was uh, on uh, Xbox and PlayStation Three, and uh, it, Portal was the standout of that. Like mm-hmm. this was a, it was a, it had a sequel to Half Life on it, and people were more excited about Portal. Like that's how big a deal that was, yeah. and so the sequel was just like everyone was just chomping at the bit for the sequel. I remember when Gabe Newell at E3 was on Sony's stage mm-hmm. and announced Portal Two coming to PlayStation, and that Portal Two would be best on PlayStation. You know, which is a weird marketing thing. Yeah, but like I remember what a big deal that was, like because people really like one. Uh, uh, Gabe Newell had said a bunch of terrible things about PlayStation like six months earlier or something, <laughs> okay. like because whatever. Yeah. Um, but like uh, drama. Yeah. So like PlayStation Three was like the lead platform, at least at least from the marketing standpoint, was mm. of the lead for for that. Um, and you could sync your Steam account to your PlayStation account. Like so I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but like the portal 2 was a huge deal, mm. and it, but it's been so long since then that we forget other than the game itself um, I, we sort of forget all the stuff surrounding it was really interesting um, and uh, and like uh, only a sequel could do that do you know what I mean like, yeah, totally. a, like a new IP from a famed developer could maybe do that like I know like Bethesda has this new space uh, uh, um a uh, sci-fi themed game that's going right. to be out in a couple of years that no one knows anything about, yet. right? And people are excited about it because yeah. it's from Bethesda, and that that is you know you almost you could almost argue that it's a, it's as much a sequel as anything else because yeah. for those at least at the, in that aspect, sure. But a lot of times sequels allow companies to to do more than just release a product; they can like change how uh, how the release models work, or like Half Life Two is how you, uh, how Steam launched. Right. Oh yeah. Or what, I don't think it was the first life. It was Half Life Two because people were like the only way they could play it was on Steam, and so yeah. they had to download Steam, yeah. and so people hated that at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's another example. Half Life Two, a uh, 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 big sequel that was just bigger and better. Yeah. And well,
0: yeah. I, I I like what you brought up about like that sequel thing because like making a sequel is sort of a safe option for yeah. for AAA developers because like they know that if this game was popular in the past, that they can get those fans to probably buy this game again. Yes. Um, and they might be able to do a, f- a few newer things with it, or like expand upon it and make it bigger and whatever else. But like they know, as a result of that, that they can do that because it's it's there. It's likely that the money will come back. Whereas making a new IP is scarier because like you don't know if people will buy this game or not, unless it's similar to other games. Yeah, yeah, and so, yeah. other popular games or
2: your previous work. Yeah, that sort of that uh, sequels play it safe is like it's a, it's it's really a two sided coin mm-hmm. because like and it's actually this is sort of true of movies as well. Like only Marvel movies can do something weird like release Guardians of the Galaxy and expect a billion dollars. Yeah. Um, whereas a, a, a neural action franchise has has to play it safe if they want to introduce a new IP to an audience, and that's true of games as well. Yeah. Like games that uh, are that are long running and established have the freedom uh, to experiment a mm-hmm. little bit. Uh, which isn't to say that they do that all the time that's true case in point like call of duty which has gone back and forth between like something new and interesting that people think oh they're finally doing something new and interesting and then this is exactly the same as the last year it will sell great
0: right like, yeah people <laughs> want the new call of duties to be different mm-hmm. and fun and exciting but also the exact same and nothing much <laughs> change and stuff
2: <laughs> that's word for word my critique of smash <laughs> yeah well <laughs>
3: which is, that's another great example yeah.
2: Uh, Melee. It was a sequel to the original Smash Brothers, mm-hmm. and as far as I understand, the original Smash Brothers was not a hit. It wasn't huge. It yeah. was like successful. Yeah, that. it was like I mean, it was like it didn't sell as well as Mario Kart or whatever. I guess yeah. even Smash Now still doesn't. But mm. um, it wasn't like the biggest thing on there. The, in the novelty of all the, fr- the characters being together was the big sell of yeah. that. Um, but the gameplay. Of melee is what has led that series to preserve. I mean, as much as all the Nintendo fanboyism has kept a lot of that franchise alive, mm-hmm. it's the core like fighting game mechanics, the uh, unique mechanics of it, that is really what its fans like about it. What melee's fans specifically like about the, <laughs> that's, yeah. yeah, that's true. Like
0: there are melee, f- oh, boy, there are <laughs> melee fans, uh-huh. and then there are everyone else Smash fans. Yeah. Melee fans are the ones. This is why they're still making GameCube controllers for the Switch and making it functional for it. Is because melee
2: fans need it to be melee, basically. Yeah, and it's frustrating. Like, Side note on that, uh-huh. they're doing it again this time with Smash Ultimate. It's I like, know. It's like, oh, and there'll be GameCube controller support. It's like, why?
1: Because GameCube controllers are good. I mean, they're, they're not bad.
2: Yeah, they're fine, but yeah. like, they're not like the pinnacle of design. Agreed. Anyway, but the especially that D-pad. It's the only D-pad Nintendo ever made that sucks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, nothing gets worse than Xbox 360 D pads.
2: The so. GameCube one's pretty bad. <laughs> it yeah, it's, it's anyway. not great. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing that gets me about it is mm-hmm. that they're doing it in such like a half-hearted way. Mm-hmm. You, they had, they made this like a uh, dongle thing. You pl- have to plug into two USB ports, and then it will do four GameCube ports. Ugh. And then you plug a regular GameCube controller in it. It's been 18 years. Ugh. Just make a USB GameCube controller. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> what is the problem? Right? Come on, Nintendo. <laughs> That feels like it would be easier. It you know, and all is, is just don't make
0: GameCube controllers. Well, there's Move that on with your lives. <laughs> this has been Stephen's Smash Corner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about? Again? <laughs> sequels. Speaking of fighting game sequels, uh, I do want to mention that Street Fighter 2 is like the, the definitive fighting game. Because, yeah, like it actually brought combos and all of, a lot of the modern uh, fighting game things into right into the world. Speaking of the language of games,
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, that is where a lot of that was formed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely, yeah. Because the first Street Fighter is, I mean, can you describe it to me? It's, I've, I've seen. I keep um, forgetting what the deal it's, was.
0: It's kind of like Street Fighter Two without any of the combos and interesting stuff. But yeah. also, you play as Ryu and Ken, and they're like the same character. Yeah. So like you're just basically
2: fighting. It's those two characters one on one. Yeah. It's just but and that's it. with almost none of the mechanics of right. a fighting game. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, another one uh, Ms. Pac-Man is a really famous arcade one from long ago uh, where there's a great story and um, rather than recount it all we can maybe do a link there was a great GDC postmortem, but also this story has been written up from time to time Uh where um, Pac-Man was so popular and so there were a lot of unauthorized um, ROM hacks basically in pizza parlors all across uh, America Mm -hmm. Uh, it was a pretty common cottage industry for um, uh, like hobby shop developer companies to uh, take these boards, make their own versions of these games that would have more features and stuff. Mm-hmm. And there was a company that did this uh, for Pac-Man and it was really popular and um, uh, 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 Namco just said, uh, hey, can we just buy it from you and release it as the sequel? Yeah. And that's essentially what they did and that's what Ms. Pac-Man is. So if you, I mean really, you can't find the original Pac-Man in most places because Ms. Pac-Man was an even bigger hit mm. and that is the definitive Pac-Man experience. Mm-hmm. Well, as far as I understand, I'm sure there's people who have uh, other opinions on that subject. But um, I find that's a great story. I love Mm -hmm. that one. Yeah. We'll link to something. But but again, it's about, it's iteration. And that's that's the key to software development is iteration. And so it's sort of why sequels kind of work, you know? Yeah.
1: Like Borderlands 2 being much better than Borderlands 1. Yes. You assisted
2: that's go on the list. (laughs) Yes. So tell me all about it.
1: Well, it's because I played them in backwards order. So I played the third one first and then the second one. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, and then I tried playing the first one, and I was like, oh my god, how did <laughs> how did this become popular? Because in the first one, like, they didn't ha- have hardly any voice acting, mm-hmm. and they didn't have, um, like, a map. Like, they had a map if you went into the menu, but they didn't have, like, a HUD map. They just had a compass that would have, like, points on it that Sounds were... like Steven would like that game.
0: <laughs> you know, um, I... Actually, I got into border- the first Borderlands more than Borderlands 2. So, yeah, kind of get out. <laughs> Kicked out of the clubhouse. <laughs> Bye everyone. <laughs>
1: Just kidding. Um um but yeah, uh in Borderlands 2 they added like they changed around a bunch of the, how the UI worked and they've added the map and the story was like fully fleshed out, and they had um, fully voice acted lines for everybody. Mm-hmm. And it just the it was improved upon everything that they did.
2: Yeah, more and better. Yeah, right. Which is like that's, that's a thing that sounds really simple, but it's like a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so maybe let's talk about some of the really bad ones. Um, so along sort of a twist on what we said before, like uh, Martha, you were talking about Mist Five. Yes. Yeah?
1: Oh, it was terrible. I didn't finish it. Oh, okay. I only played the first part. Because it got rid of, like, so I know you really liked Uru. Uh-huh. And Uru is fun, but I didn't really consider it a Myst game because it didn't have live actors in it. Right. And they, that's what they did with um, the fifth one is they used the same thing that they did for Uru. Right, it, was, had, it
2: was a first-person adventure game. It wasn't node-based. It was, it had very little of the Myst formula. Yes. Oh, yeah. And
1: so it didn't really feel like a Myst game. And so I rejected it.
2: <laughs> yeah, it also took place in the Uru setting because, uh, like, fun behind-the-scenes story. Mist five, For, so Uru was a spin-off that was meant to be an MMO uh, in the the world of Mist. But then uh, Ubisoft didn't give it enough money, and so they released it as a single-player adventure that was basically Mist. But in, instead of taking place in in the crazy world, you started out on Earth and explored. So it was sort of a missed game, but because it was envisioned as something else. It didn't really catch on with Mist fans, but it had its own fan base, and it was really core to the lore of Mist in a way that when Mist Five came out, which was supposed to be an expansion to Uru, but then wasn't because money again. Because mm. um, the like, Cyan has an int- really interesting history about like big ambitious projects that get cut down and then still being able to ship something anyway. Um, so kudos to them, but like it's really you wonder what could have been. But yeah, Mist Five it, it really it was a, it was a sort of a sequel to Uru more than it was a sequel to Mist. And Mist Three and Four were not developed by Cyan because Cyan was busy making Uru, um, and so uh, all, um, they're they're great games. I think we were talking about before. Like yeah,
1: they, I really liked all like two, three, four.
2: Yeah, they they really are all great um, because the story is really good, and and that's the main draw of those games. Um, although I mean the puzzles, of course. Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, Mist Five is just an Uru game. It, pretty much, and it has a lot of the same characters. It has this interesting epilogue that feels a little tacked on to like tie it back to Atris and all those characters and stuff. Um, but I loved it because I loved Uru so much. So it was, it was, that was for me. Like, well, I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> but it's definitely a case of a sequel being more similar to like a film or or book sequel in that the story is the main part of it, and it really is determined whether you like it or not. Right. And it didn't really hit with you because it felt like a side story to you. It, the perspective wasn't right, like not just of the you know the, the gameplay, but the perspective of the story wasn't quite the same, and it had a different milieu. Like it was just not the same. It wasn't a missed game, right? Yeah. Uh, in that in that sense, and to me, it worked for me because it was something I was familiar with and liked. You know.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it all has to do with your expectations too. Yeah. Like. I think a lot of these things, when you come into them and you're expecting them to be a certain way and then they're not that way, you can either, like, if you end up liking it, then it'll be cool. But if it's, like, if it's just not right, you not exactly what you wanted, you can feel disappointed.
0: Yeah, Yeah, you know, that's kind of the reason why I... I'm going to sound real hypocritical because I'm extremely hyped for Smash Ultimate Uh and Soul Calibur VI. But, like, I kind of don't like sequels in a way yeah because <laughs> yeah <laughs> because waiting for um, you to make
2: this work yeah
0: <laughs> well my issue with it is because like the game that like that came out already it, it exists and like what oftentimes what people want from sequels mm-hmm. is just more of the same thing yeah but just more of it in which especially nowadays like we can release dlc And and patch things and add more junk and whatever else. It's like way easier to get more of whatever game you really like. Yeah, you don't need a sequel for it, right? As often, but um, what I as a game developer, I think what I want from a sequel is I want the I want a better version of this game I just made, and that might mean taking out some of the features that were extraneous, Mm -hmm. or or tightening up some of the features that are in the game already that to make it even better or something like that. And oftentimes fans will like. Chew you out for that kind of stuff. Yeah. That I, and, and that frustrates me a lot of the time because, like, they're just, they want to make the game better. And, and maybe that wasn't the direction that you expected it to be, but, like, that's what they wanted to do as game developers. Yeah. But, like, at the same time, also, like, you're paying for this game and it's not what you expected. So, like, it makes sense that, like, you would be disappointed yeah. if it was, like, this way. Um,
2: right. Like, yeah. you know, uh, you know, like a, a roller coaster is fun, but if mm-hmm. you paid to go on the water slide,
0: yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's kind of like that. It's kind of like yeah.
2: that. It's, yeah. You know, you touch on the sort of the difference between like a, a new product and an improved, proving product. Mm-hmm. And that's certainly the case. Like you have the annualized sequels, you have your Call of Duties, your Maddens, your Assassin's Creed, mm-hmm. but then you also have your games as a service. Yeah. Uh, and then in the middle of there, you have something like Destiny, oh, which has a sequel, but yes. also has con- constantly evolves, weekly patches. But then when the sequel comes around, you don't carry your progress over. It's not an MMO. Mm-hmm. Now, Martha, you're a Destiny player. Yeah. So like, well,
1: actually, I'm just a Destiny 2 player.
2: Oh, really? I okay. never
1: played that. Well, I watched Dylan play the first one. Oh, okay,
2: okay. But
1: yeah. But, yeah, I think that Destiny 2 was a lot more... Prop, like, it feels more alive than Destiny 1 yeah. felt. Um, mostly because they... Like I think when Destiny One came out, they didn't really have everything set up in it yet, and they had the wrong voice actor, (laughs) and (laughs) just made everything weird. Yeah. Um, And then, like I hear, like Polygon people talking a lot about how Taken, like they made a DLC for the first one called Taken King, and how that like saved the game and made it fun for everybody Mm, because it added all these features in that were like were really awesome and made it like really fun. Um, and I had an actual story instead of being like, uh the darkness versus the light. That's what they're called, the bad and the good. And I'm the speaker and you're the guardian of the light. <laughs> against the darkness. Uh-huh. <laughs> Are you engaged yet? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um But yeah, I liked I like the sequel. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, that, that franchise when was announced, like it's gonna be a huge Ten-year project, Activision paying a lot of money for, her. and um, and I think they talked very openly about how, like that DLC you're talking about, that sort of fixed the game. About how, like, it was always meant to evolve as it went, yeah. and so that's why it's weird because it's not. There's no subscription model; you just pay for it. And you, the DLC is you, there's and there's cosmetic items, so there's there's a business model in place to keep that development going. But um, but like the idea of doing a sequel instead of just continually adding on to it, it that must have been like. A tough call yeah i mean they're like how are we going what's the how is the lifetime of this franchise
4: going to work yeah
0: well like if the game is if this the thing you're trying to add to this game is so much different from the original game that it doesn't make sense to like just add on to it yeah it makes sense to just make a new game like this happens in fighting games especially more recently because mm-hmm. like their fighting games have patches all the time yeah but there's street fighter 4 and ultimate street fighter 4 and all uh, ultimate no, is it ultra? It's Super Street Fighter Four, and then Super Street Fighter Four 2016 edition, and then there's Ultra, right? Yeah. There's Ultra Street Fighter Where? Four. Yeah, there's a, you know there's a bunch of different. But Street can't they just get away patches.
2: with that because there's a history of that kind of? I
0: mean, there is, it but like, the reason there's a history of it because like they didn't have patches back in the day, so right? They but, had now their that, new but now they're
2: making. But now they do. Do they need that?
0: Uh well, I think there's some differences between the different ones okay. that like. I, I'm not a Street Fighter player, so I don't know all the differences. <laughs> but I know there are some differences. Some like they changed some of the mechanics and stuff. And it's not just literally a patch, and yeah. they're selling it to you for forty bucks. Right. Um, there's more to it than that. But like I don't know how much of it there is. But like that's an example of it. If they change a lot of the systems to the point where like it feels like a different game, mm-hmm. then that's why they would make a sequel. At least that's what my thinking. Sure. That's my sure. understanding of it is.
1: Yeah. Plus, usually sequels are. Big, like they're longer mm-hmm. than a patch or like a DLC campaign would be. Right. Like both, but a lot of the Destiny 2 and Destiny 1, um, like DLC campaigns were like maybe a fourth of the regular game mm-hmm. okay. length long. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, 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 yeah, it's like a node in the tree. So like you have the first one, and then have DLC as little branches coming off of it, and then the next one is like another node that branches will come off of. If that makes that's how I think
2: of it. Mm. Oh, sure, that makes sense. Yeah, and I suppose without a subscription model, eventually you're gonna you can't you can't keep charging ten dollars or whatever for like new content. You just you want to do a big thing and charge real money for it. Yeah, yeah, you know that's true too. So that's interesting. Yeah, the players have responded differently. Some are like perfectly fine otherwise like i don't want to lose this progress of this character Mm -hmm. it's like a corrupted save kind of right yeah (laughs) um uh, steven you want to talk about spiritual sequels as well oh yeah i wanted to bring that up just because like there are
0: some games that are like they're like refined versions of older games uh but they do everything better and they just release it as basically a new game that is not a sequel to a previous thing Right, like if you like this thing, you'll like this one too. Right, Uh, and
2: And that can happen with the same developer can release a new version with with like mechanics that are similar to a previous game. Yeah, it can happen for like a game can be a spiritual something long ago Mm -hmm. that they had nothing to do with, Mm -hmm. Um, or it could be that uh, a franchise changed ownership. Yes, and so the title the the characters had to change. Yeah, (laughs) something like that. Also true. It's happened. There's a bunch of examples, Mm -hmm. right?
0: Well, my my favorite example of this is uh, Rocket League. Um, It was based off of the game where we. Uh, it's it's called supersonic acrobatic rocket powered battle cars. Super long. Uh, that's the original one, but um, they like refined the game and stuff. They released it on Xbox 360, and then uh, like it it was with middling success. Um, but like they they, uh, they had a decent enough of a fan base, and they kept playing the game and stuff, and they requested things, and the developers wanted to keep adding stuff and re- uh, refine stuff and things, and then they eventually like just refined it to the point where they were like, we should just make this a new game again. Uh and and re-release it as mm. as Rocket League and then they did it and then boom it was ex-
2: explosively popular yeah yeah so and then they also had a big change in their marketing and approach yeah like I mean Rocket League is very sports themed yeah and so they decided to make le- the um the fields of play a lot simpler yeah like I think in the the previous one it was much more like they had some yeah like wild- fun ramps and funhouse stuff mm-hmm. and they decided to make it more um uh, digestible
0: yeah. almost. and I think a lot of the fans back then they did didn't they like. They either like showed they didn't like it because they didn't play on it very much, or like they actively said like I don't like this thing." And they like as the developers were like, "We probably shouldn't have these in there because they're just not popular. People aren't playing." Um, but also, like they changed their name from a six-worded title to a two-word title,
2: yeah, and that's a lot easier for people. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, well, I mean, that, like, I think that branding change is really important because it, it, it. I think it informs future decisions about it. Like, it yeah. went from, I mean, that other name is the ad- most adult swimmiest thing I've ever heard, <laughs> and then they went from that into this like esports uh-huh. kind of aesthetic. Yeah. And so that informs the development. It informs the type of people who will be interested in it, and mm-hmm. it can be the symbiotic relationship. Yeah. And so that's a big, important part of. Building a franchise is like is all the pieces of it, not not just like the, improving the mechanics from piece to piece. What turns it from a series of games to something bigger like that? I think yeah. is, is is that those connections. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but I, I guess
0: I just wanted to bring that up as a side thing. Yeah, sometimes uh you want to make a sequel, but you don't want to because like it might be a sequel to a game that was not well
2: received. Yeah. Either and hey, there's an well, example of that, which is my game Metronexus, which oh. is a spiritual <laughs> yeah. successor. To uh, City Connection, right? Which I've, I've listeners who've heard me talk about it before have heard it many times before. But uh, that was a game that was not well received. It has I don't, maybe a bit of a cult following. I don't mm. know, but it was just one of the games I played as a kid, and I thought everyone else did too. Uh, and I'm like, but it's not great. I can do better. And so <laughs> that's been that's that's the story of that one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, I think that's and that's really that's fun because you uh, when I started working on Mentor Nexus, it was very much a like I don't know what I want to make. But uh, it was more like, oh, let's see how this. I'll demo this mechanic I remember from long ago, mm-hmm. and I actually didn't own a copy of the game. I just it's just all from my memory of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, thinking like, um, yeah, I can, I can, I can do this better. And so just doing it from scratch, but with the same kind of like core idea of it is nice. Mm-hmm. And when I play test it, and someone goes, oh, this is like. Like like a better version of City Connection, I'm just like yes, someone figured it out, <laughs> <I> did it. <laughs> but the thing about spiritual sequels yeah. that is important mm-hmm. is that they don't have. There's no you don't have to surface that information. Yeah, because that's the that's what makes it different from not just the different IP or sometimes different developer or whatever or different providence, but like it is it's not trading on the previous one in in an effort to promote that one. Right. It's just yeah. it's it it's, it is spiritual and, and and that's all it is. Right. Um,
1: I, another example is Elite Dangerous, which is oh, yeah? a spiritual successor to Elite, oh, uh, okay. which was like one of the first like 3D space sort of things, but it was still in like pixely graphics. Yeah. So it was like very hard. Like I've seen screenshots of it. and It was like, well, how could you tell uh-huh. where you like are or whatever? But mm-hmm. yeah, they took that idea and made this you know huge sprawling space exploration game out of it. Um, yeah. Nice. So it's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, maybe we can, I mean, we can probably maybe look up and see if there's a, there's got to be a list of these on the internet, so we'll see if we can find a link or two um, because there's always some surprises. Like, you're like, oh, I didn't know that, and then you look into the old one and you're like, oh, that's so cool, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Stuff like that. Uh, so well, let's end this topic with um, ambitions for you guys. Uh, what, what sequels would you want to make either to, uh, like in my case, a spiritual sequel or like a game you're working on that you can imagine what the third or fourth one, like Pie in the sky, what do you what, what do you hope you have? Like what does Finge 3 look like? Three? You gotta finish the first one Let's first. Let's not <laughs> we don't have to focus on that at all. <laughs> it's already out, right. Future Steven knows. Yeah. Finch two has got some pretty good reviews. Yeah. It's been out for a year or two. Yeah. It's time to work on the third one. Yes. Like, what does that look like? Hmm.
0: I, I guess I've imagined Fingence two being a twin stick shooter. Yeah. Where like you it's more like an open world exploration. Shooter thing, but like their encounters, in, it, it's more roguelike than the way it is now. Ah, okay. Which I would I would appreciate. So, Fingence 3 would probably just be a refinement of that. Yeah. Maybe they take it to space.
2: <laughs> Fish in space. <laughs> that's like good. Because that. a lot of that is ideas you guys had in the development of Fingence that mm-hmm. you just kept in your back pocket. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. That's a cool approach, right? And especially arcade games, old school uh, retro games, their sequels tend to be very different. But have the sort of a, the heart of it intact. And mm-hmm. that looks like that seems like the direction you'd be going. Yeah, that's uh, what I would like. I think that's what I would want for Fangens 3. Yeah.
0: More penguins. <laughs> Definitely more penguins. Least,
2: I feel similarly about if there's ever a widget satchel too, is basically all the ideas we decided we didn't want to, that was just too out, or out of scope. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, climbing, wall, yeah. wall jumping, yeah. stuff like that. Other platform mechanics I think would be really fun that we didn't have a place for and we didn't want to design for yeah. this time around. Mm-hmm. Um, but we could make a game that feels totally different but is still part of that world. Yeah, I would love to, I would love to do something like that one day.
0: Yeah, like Commander Key gets a, a promotion, goes to a new station.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's just bigger. Yeah, it'd be an out, outpost on a planet or yeah, something. Yeah, you just yeah. need to break more stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Martha, you have a whole world planned for your point-and-click adventure? Oh, yeah. Yeah?
1: Lots of, di- lots of sequels. <laughs> uh, lots of different, going lots of different places, like to the beach or to space yeah. or in the forest. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I mean, the cool thing about your game is, like, the characters are a lot of what, like, make it, right? So, yeah. like, you can just port them to different places and then the, uh, they have an adventure in a forest. And like that would yeah. be cool. Yeah, like, they're having a new adventure in a forest. I'd sign
2: up for that. Right. You could make a card game version of it. You can make a platformer for yeah. it. You could do. Don't give me that look. You can. <laughs> <laughs> you could do it in different styles because the story is what's core to it, right? Although point and click is really your inspiration, certainly. But there's other places to take it, right? It'd be easier That's than than uh, you might not want to, but there's it's easier for a a property like that than it would be for some other types of games where the mechanics is more uh, core to it. Uh, to it's like the heart of it right Right. it'd be really weird to have a Fingence platformer for example
1: would it
0: (laughs) yes Yes. yeah yes
1: you just add springs to the bottom of the submarines
0: (laughs) done (laughs) (laughs) well dang that's (laughs) Fingence (laughs) 4
2: there's a button for that in Unity right (laughs) yeah Yeah. just add springs yeah
1: (laughs) you'd add gravity and all the bullets fall to the (laughs) ground
2: yeah Fingence now was physics engine that's pretty
1: good
2: (laughs) oh boy yeah. For Metro Nexus, I don't ever intend to do a sequel to that game. Mm-hmm. I have some DLC plans, and that's kind of part of the core of it: is that you go to the world cities. So DLC would be different cities. Yeah. But I don't in my in my wildest dreams I don't imagine ever making another one. Mm. Weir- weirdly, like, I mean, sometimes I, well,
0: I mean, I like that
2: instinct that yeah. like your game is just a complete thing, and you don't want to make another one. Of yeah. Those. I think that's good. Yeah, and part of that is because it it's, is itself a spiritual sequel. Yeah, that I feel like. I that I don't have an, I don't have ambitions to do more than that. I feel like this is the refinement. Yeah. In a sense. Yeah. Um, you know, who the hell knows? What you know what what'll happen. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, like what, what turn maybe there'll be three of those and just one widget satchel, I don't know. But widget satchel is one where it feels more natural to me. Uh, because it, it, it comes from a tradition of games that has sequels yeah. as well. Yeah. You know?
0: That's our show. If you haven't already, subscribe to Nice Games Club in your favorite podcast app, and be sure to give it a good review if you liked it or are nice like us. You really do need to know you're out
2: there, so leave a review and tell all your friends, too. Hey, let me stop you there and yep. just reiterate that for people, because there's been a lot happening in the world of podcast apps. Yes. Google has a podcast app. Apple changed theirs to Apple Podcasts some time ago. Okay. So now's a good time to give your old pals at Nice Games Club a review yeah. in your favorite podcast app. Yeah. Five stars preferred. Six if you can manage. <laughs> <laughs> all right go on
0: <laughs> we're not picky <laughs> um we also want to hear directly from you so follow us on twitter and all the other things at nice games club lastly you can find out more about the show and your nice host as well as get all the links and show notes from this and other episodes at nice club so until we start again remember to play nice
1: and make nice